Welcome to Nipe Story. This is a fortnightly podcast that brings you audio versions of short story fiction from Kenya and across the African continent. I'm your host, Kevin Mwachiro. And for this episode, we are featuring Lori Kubuitzile's story, Eddie Fisher won't be coming in today. Viva Main arrived that day at the tail end of a dust storm, and as the empty Simba chip packets settled back in the branches of the leafless hedge at the school gate, out of the grey dust appeared a woman. I sat in the lead of the dustbin outside of the airless staff room, smoking a cigarette, and as she emerged, I felt my heart jump, and we knew from the look of her we were in for something. I'm looking for the headmaster, she said in her odd way holding each word a fraction of a second too long in her mouth, caressing it with her tongue before letting it loose into the air to be gobbled up by my waiting ears. My eyes rested on her lips, full and red, her eyes. Almond and swirlingly dip and luscious, her body. Thin waist, broad come hither hips, I was lost in her physical aura, and just as I drifted away into Viva Main fantasy land, a place I was to spend an inordinate amount of time during the coming weeks, I was pulled back into reality by the cigarette burning my fingers. Throwing it to the ground, I said, his inside, should I take you? The words she spoke that day were rare gems, but I didn't know that just yet. Viva Main, we were to come to realize, was not big on conversation. It wasn't that she was a snob. She just had no interest in speaking to anyone or hearing anything anyone had to say to her. Viva Main seemed perfectly happy in her own mind. Her presence, though, caused a lot of noise as the huge, fat, opaque block of last-filled dreams of a school full of male teachers and puberty entrapped boys needed space and it squeezed into the dust-covered little patch of matchbox teachers' houses, causing loud squeaks and groans and complaints of move-over, bending things that in the end I realized should never have been bent. Viva Main hardly spoke, that is until she met Eddie Fisher. Of all the men she could have chosen, why Eddie Fisher, no one could figure out. Mudongo stood up in the staff room full of indignation when it was realized he would not be the one. Look at me, for God's sake. Heads bobbed in agreement. Without a doubt, he was the best-looking among us. We all knew it. Vivermain seemed to have overlooked that fact. And at least I have money, Loago lamented from the corner, the only one at the school with a working car. But she chose Eddie Fisher. Eddie Fisher with his blue-checked shirts for Monday, Wednesday and Friday, and the red for Tuesday and Thursday. Eddie Fisher, who was as tall as most Form 1 boys and so thin, most of the same could lift him over their heads if they were forced to. We all had to admit that he did have two perfectly sculpted ears and a lovely little smile, though few had seen much of it before Viva Main showed up. Smiling had not been a big part of Eddie Fisher's life up until then, and that was primarily because of Thelma. The unseen Thelma was little more than a voice echoing nightly through the nooks and crannies of the teacher's quarters, sending shivers down people's backs and planting seeds of horrific nightmares. What you doing now, Eddie Fisher? It would question in a tone set aside for ghouls and goblins. I've seen her, 
Loago would tell people. She's as wide and as tall as the doorframe. Her massive breasts nearly touched the floor. That day I saw her. She pulled a defisher, gasping for air, out from under one of them. Though the men in the staff room listened with all seriousness, they knew Loago's story couldn't be trusted. Nobody's Thelma's stories could. And there were many stories at that school at the edge of the desert. Rumor had it that a whole day was set aside out at the Lonely Boys hostels just to tally up the latest story about Eddie Fisher's wife. Sometimes she was tiny with her flesh like biltong, holding tightly to her cranky bonds or round and short with angry eyebrows sharp as knives. Sometimes she was a sex-starved nymphomaniac that had been known to snatch up a boy would let his mind and steps wander drifting too close to the house's front door. Other times she was a cold fish who tossed poor Eddie Fisher to the ground if he spied her out of the corner of his lust-filled eye. Though the stories moved up and down and left and right without sense or reason, based on little fact and a whole lot of speculation, everybody agreed on one thing. Thelma was scary and Eddie Fisher had a seriously hard luck life at least until Viva Main arrived. Viva spotted Eddie after a week and from then on they were always together except when he disappeared into Thelma's house followed by a Where have you been, Eddie Fisher? ringing through the school. The staff kept an eye on Viva and Eddie as they snuck away to sit under the big camel thorn tree near the science laboratory. Once there, Viva Main talked and laughed, throwing her head back and her long, shapely leg forward with abandon. Eddie Fisher would giggle into his hand and smile and smile at Viva. What could they be talking about? Mudongo asked, peering from the corner of the staff room window. I know Eddie likes reading. Maybe they're talking about books. I tried, knowing by the look of the two, books were not the topic of the conversation. Viva reached her hand forward, and with her long finger, she slowly traced the edge of Eddie's shapely ear. The staff room let out a painful sigh. It was too much for Loago. Damn that Eddie Fisher! Damn him to hell! And he pulled the curtain shut, and with a look of his eye, dared anyone to open them. I wasn't jealous of Eddie Fisher. I'd had the bellows of Thelma and had spent two years watching Eddie creep around the school, trying his best to stay unnoticed. I'd found him there when I arrived. Stories at the time had it that he'd been posted at the school when it started five years previously, and a clerk at TSM in Habaroni, 800-odd kilometers away, had thrown his blue file deep at the back of a cabinet, never to be found again when Thelma bellowed into her face about how she was not going to be moving out to the desert. Thanks to Thelma, Eddie was now permanent and pensionable at that forgotten windswept corner of Botswana. No, I couldn't slight Eddie Fisher. He hadn't brought Viva Main to him. She came of her own volition. A drop of good luck after a deluge of bad. Three weeks after Viva's arrival, Eddie went missing. I was sitting in my usual place on the dustbin lead, trying to find a breath of fresh air in the stagnant heat that engulfed us, when Viva rushed up. Where's Eddie Fisher? I shrugged my shoulders. I was among the unhappy ones, the not chosen, and now I had the opportunity to let her know my view, if by actions only. He's not come to school today. 
I think she's keeping him in. Her lovely smooth skin was flushed and in her frantic state. She forgot to close her lips completely when she was done speaking, and my mind drifted away thinking of that slight open space. Someone must go and ask Thelma. I was yanked back rudely. Ask Thelma? The sun had addled her, I concluded. In frustration, she left, running for the staff room. She managed to corral Loago, a youngster named Jakes, and the always willing Mudongo. I trailed along behind, hoping I might get a peep at the elusive Thelma, but not willing to be at the front in case her eyes threw radioactivity or she chose to direct her piercing voice in my direction, causing permanent damage to my hearing. A small parade headed down the dusty drive under the baking noon sun, along the back of the teachers' houses to the tin-roofed one, occupied by Eddie and Thelma Fisher. Loago, at the front, gave a quick look back at us trying to show he had no fear, and then knocked without much conviction on the metal door. When it opened, he jumped back. From the darkness, a voice bellowed, Eddie Fisher won't be coming in today! The door slammed shut and we backed away, not sure of what we saw or didn't see. We moved away quickly, despite the worried pleas of Viva Maine. Thelma was right. Eddie Fisher didn't come in that day and then the next and the next and finally didn't come at all. Discussion was rampant as to what happened. She killed him, I know it, Mudongo insisted. Maybe, but then what? I asked. What'd she do with the body? Who knows with Thelma? Loago asked, shrugging his shoulders. Maybe she ate him? He threw a card down from the tattered stack in his hand and, though he didn't seem to be playing any card game in particular, he became annoyed at what the card revealed and picked them all up in resignation and began shuffling the deck again. Thelma had enough of Eddie and Viva and put an end to it the only way she could. The disappearance took its toll on Viva Maine. As time passed, she began to talk to the absent Eddie and walk around the school grounds with him even though he was nothing but a painful patch of air next to her. Like most things at that school in the desert, we got used to it. Like the ghoulish shouts of the enigmatic Thelma and the missing Eddie Fisher, the beautiful mad Viva Maine became a part of our lives living side by side with the dust storms and the relentless desert heat as the days passed and Eddie Fisher became more and more absent. Time passed and one day a moving truck pulled up to Eddie Fisher's house. Crowding at the staff room window, we watched the men move up and down between the truck and the house carrying surprisingly ordinary things, sofas, tables, a bed, I saw Viva Maine standing at the edge of the teacher's quarters, her hands hanging at her sides, waiting to see what would come out of that house if Eddie would be part of the household contents. When the moving men were finished, Thelma emerged from the house and everyone became silent. The time had come. We were finally going to know the truth about Eddie Fisher's wife and possible killer. I held my breath and I was not alone because the air in the staff room became still with a lack of respiring activities. And suddenly, there she was. 
She was not big or small, she was not old or very young, nor ugly or beautiful. She wore a nondescript dress and a blue doik on her head. She had neither fangs nor claws. Well, that is anticlimactic, Mudongo said a fraction of a second too soon, because then Thelma saw Viva Main standing waiting for her edificia to finally re-emerge from the house where he'd last been seen. What you want there, girl? Thilma screeched, and I covered my ears involuntarily, wondering how Viva, who was much closer to the horrible sound, stood exactly as she had, arms hanging at her side, her ears without protection. I want to say goodbye to Eddie Fisher. Viva said, and the staff room ooed at her bravery. Thelma took a few steps toward Viva, and we shivered in fear, thinking Thelma was planning to break Viva in two, but then she stopped. She laughed and laughed, a laugh so devoid of happiness or joy, it made the lone camel thorn tree shrink back a few inches, and the people... Listening, suddenly think about the graves of loved ones, puppies smashed flat under car tires, and babies falling off tables. It was the worst of life disguised inside a bright yellow balloon. Terrible trickery. The laugh hung in the hot, dust-laden air as Thelma went back to the truck, pulled herself inside, and they drove away. As soon as the moving truck was out the school gate, Viva ran straight to Eddie Fisher's house. Eddie! She shouted into the open door. Eddie! She shouted into the corners of the empty sitting room. Eddie! Eddie! She shouted at the crushed cork tin lying in the dirty corner where the marks on the tiles showed a refrigerator had stood. I followed in behind her, hoping to capitalize on her final despair. He's not here! He's gone, Viva. Eddie Fisher is gone. I held out my arms and she ran straight past them without a word, out the door and towards the desert. I turned and ran after her, but stopped at the edge of the school compound. In 40-plus Celsius heat, beautiful Viva Maine or not, I was not stepping out into that. She'd come back and I'd be waiting, but she didn't. Days passed. Students were grouped into search parties led by a teacher, sent out into the desert once the sun lowered a bit. Contingents went out each day and returned, but Viva Main was nowhere to be found. Her tracks creased and crossed like a drunk staggering home after a binge, but they led nowhere. After five days, we accepted the inevitable. Viva Main was dead. Where, we didn't know, but dead nonetheless. There could be no other answer. It wasn't meant to last, Mudongo said philosophically. And what's that supposed to mean? Loago asked inexplicably annoyed. I mean, Viva, you can't bring something like that out here without something giving. I looked at Mudongo and considered what he said. Maybe he was right. Still, I couldn't shake the mystery of it. Where did Eddie Fisher go? Where was Viva? And what did Thelma know?
I was lucky because just before I had fallen into the suspended animation of the despair of the forgotten, I was transferred back to the world of believing. I was lucky to get a place in the north in the city of Francistown, full of plenty of women so that a viva main or two caused no disturbances or dangers. Life was back to normal and I had nearly forgotten all about Eddie Fisher and Viva Maine and their mysterious disappearances. I had new things to occupy my time. I was in love. I was in love with a pretty, calm Lorato. I'd learned my lesson from a distance. Passionate, wild, reckless love was dangerous. I would settle for the tranquil breeze of love, lightly touching me here and there, harming no one as offered by Lorato. We were walking home from the cinema one cool winter evening, and she talked about a new woman who had come to work with her at the council office where she was employed as a social worker. She's beautiful, but there's something about her, Lorato said. I was only listening with half my mind. The other half was wondering how I could convince Lorato that despite having to get up for work the next morning, that she should spend the night at my small flat. What's wrong with her? I asked absent-mindedly. You know, you know Shenolo Rebone, that tall, thin, awkward one who runs the computer system? She asked. I brought my mind back to the conversation. Yeah, I know him. So this woman suddenly is attracted to him, him of all people. She's beautiful with these amazing eyes and curving hips and she speaks in this slow, odd way. I just don't get it. Lorato shook her head at the strangeness of it. Anyway, Viva's also a bit strange. Hardly says a word to anyone but Shinolo. A bit of a snob, maybe. I stopped walking and grabbed Lorato by the sides of her face, yanking her head towards me. What did you say her name was? Ouch! You're hurting me! What's wrong with you? Lorato pulled away and stood at some distance from me with a look in her eye that questioned my sanity. She's Viva. Viva Maine! You're lying. You're lying. Why are you saying that? What do you mean I'm lying? That's her name. Why would I lie? What is wrong with you? She started walking away angrily. I ran after her. I'm sorry. I, I, I just knew Aviva, Aviva Maine. I thought she was dead. The next day, I skipped work and malingered around Lorato's office waiting for Viva to emerge. It was past the lunch hour rush and I still hadn't seen her. I dodged Lorato coming back from lunch with a group of her office mates by ducking into a nearby Chinese shop, hiding behind a rack of clothes smelling of mothballs, ignoring the shouts of, What do you want here? from the tiny, fierce, old Chinese lady who threatened me with a yellow plastic fly swatter. Just as the last latecomers entered the building, I saw Viva sitting on a big stone with Shenolo from Lorato's office. I couldn't believe my eyes. It was her. She had survived the desert and the loss of Eddie Fisher, and now she was happily in love again. I wanted to go up to her, but something stopped me. 
I watched her kiss Shenolo and then run her fingers along his neck, and my stomach jumped at the sensuousness of it. I thought again about ruining her happiness with my unhappy Edificia baggage, though I was curious about how she had survived and where she had made off to that day. I couldn't interrupt her happiness with my curiosity. I took one last look at her, and walked away. I never mentioned Viva again, and Lorata never brought her up. I got the impression she thought Viva had been one of my old girlfriends, and I sort of liked that she thought that. So we all kept quiet, keeping our Viva thoughts to ourselves. It was a spring day, sparkling and bright after an early morning shower. Lodato and I were walking to the nearby park to eat our takeaway lunch of fried chicken. I was thinking about how, when we sat down on a park bench, I would talk to Lodato about serious things, about marriage and children. I had decided it was time to get things moving in that direction. Today was the day. This shiny spring day would be the day my life would take a new turn. We found a bench in the shade and bent down to wipe the stray raindrops off with one of the serviettes. You won't believe what has happened, Lorato said, sitting down and unpacking the chicken and chips inside the bag, placing them carefully on the bench between us. Shenolo has gone missing. My heart stopped and I asked a bit too sharply. Missing? What about Viva? Lorato took a bite of chicken and chewed and swallowed it, as I waited the agonizingly long seconds for her answer. She's beside herself with worry. He hasn't been to work all week. Disappeared into thin air, it seems. I sat back on the bench and forgot all about my plans of marriage and children. I forgot about chicken. I forgot about. Everything. As Lorato's voice asked from far away in the distance, "Are you okay?" All I could see in front of me was the beautiful, sexy Viva peering out of the dust. That day, so long ago, at the school, at the edge of the forest, appearing out of the dust like a ghostly apparition, looking for the headmaster. But I realize now. In search of something altogether different. Eddie Fisher won't be coming in today. Was read to you by Stone Songa, and written by Rory Kubuitsile. Rory is a two-time winner of the Golden Baobab Prize for African Children's Writing, the winner of the Botswana Ministry of Youth, Sports and Culture Botswerere Prize for Creative Writing, and a finalist for the 2011 Kane Prize, among others. Her historical novel, The Scattering, won Best International Fiction Book for 2017 at the Sharjah International Book Fair, and was recommended by the Walter Scott Prize for Historical Fiction in 2017. Her second historical novel is titled "But Deliver Us from Evil" and was published in May 2019, and longlisted for the 2020 Nomo Award. And in May 2020, her legal thriller "Come Romance Revelations" was published by Love Africa Press. Laurie lives happily in a village in Botswana with her daughter, grandson, three dogs, and two cats. Thank you, Laurie, for sharing your work with us. 
Thank you also to the Author Entertainment Studios in Kilifi for making the recording of this episode possible. Nipe Story is available to download wherever you get your podcast from. Please write a review, rate and share the podcast with your networks. You can follow us here on SoundCloud, on Facebook we are Nipe Story and on Twitter our handle is Nipe underscore story. Before I sign off, this month we are celebrating four years of podcasting in Asante Sana for all your support. We're taking a break for the festive season and we shall be back in the new year. Happy holidays and stay safe. Nipe Story is a finger piano production.